The problem is that there are nefarious groups out there, extremist organizations that will say we're an animal welfare organization, and really they are for something completely opposite. So animal rights is not the same as animal welfare. Animal rights is a, a mindset that an animal should have the exact same rights as a human being. Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome to Animal Tales where you will hear stories of the people who love and care for animals. Gosh, there's so much information out there, especially about animals, animal enterprises. Farmers and ranchers are just vilified all the time at this point. We're told that cattle are the absolute ruination of the planet and need to go. How do we know what to believe and who to believe? The vocal minority, the animal rights groups, the extremists, the animal protection groups are out there waving around information, passing laws, bans. It includes selective information, misinformation, and actual lies. Well, there is an organization out there to help you kind of decipher all this information, cut through the noise. It's called Protect the Harvest, and it was founded by Forrest Lucas, of Lucas Oil. He felt we needed to come together and have an organization where we could have a voice, push back on bad legislation, inform Americans about the animal rights extremists and their activities, and provide a credible source of information backed up by data, statistics, facts, and most importantly, expertise, those who truly live with, work with, and love animals. I'm talking today with the Executive Director, Teresa Lucas. Welcome, Teresa. It's nice to have you on the program. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, Protect the Harvest is uh, such a neat organization, and um, I was introduced to it, I don't know, probably five to six years ago. And I'd like you to start out, if you want to tell the, the listeners a little bit about yourself, and then tell them what Protect the Harvest is. Sure. Uh, I actually got involved in Protect the Harvest because this is a group that was founded by my grandfather. Um, I had a background as a registered veterinary technician and kind of had been involved in animals in some capacity or another for most of my adult life. And this just kind of fit. I wanted to get involved in, um, you know, something that he was doing in the oil side of things. His oil business was not really my fit. And you know, protecting our right to own animals fit right in with what I was already doing. Um, Who is your grandfather? Uh, Forrest Lucas, uh, founder of Lucas Oil Products and also founder of Protect the Harvest. So it was founded in 2011, uh, mainly because he had a cattle ranch in Missouri. Uh, we like to say it's his game of golf. It's, <laughs> you know, he's never been a fond of a lot of the uh, more common hobbies yeah of, uh older men but he's always loved having cattle and having a ranch so that was kind of his thing to put together and um there was an issue that came about uh prop b which was going to affect you know it was, it was pretty much labeled as a puppy mill bill but it was going to affect cattle livestock um really any animal that was near your home so that's kind of how he got involved in this fight uh, it had always been on his radar, though, uh, as he was traveling the world, you know, trying to sell oil, get involved in um, business dealings. 
you know, every time he would visit Europe, he would notice that their food security is just not quite up to par with ours. You know, a lot more expensive. Uh, the ranchers, farmers that are there have to abide by a lot more regulations and rules that just make things very inefficient. And, you know, they're not going with the common sense techniques that are for animal welfare, you know, necessarily. They're very influenced by animal rights policies. Um, And as he saw that start happening here in the United States, he, you know, the alarm bells started sounding and then in Missouri, it popped right up and right in front of his radar. So that's kind of just where everything began. Um, He had a very humble beginning, was, you know, raised in a house with no no indoor plumbing, no electricity, that sort of thing. Very, very uh, poverty-stricken area. And it's very close to his heart that there are people in this country right now and obviously all over the world that are really struggling with finding their next meal. So that's something he really felt he needed to be involved in. You know, that it, it, it's so profound. We talk about grass-fed beef and organic or any of that stuff. You referenced overseas, uh, different countries, how they handle it. And I know it's also can be much more expensive just to get your food. But we really are, I think... The average person cares, but is really out of touch with how how extreme this is and um, how important it is to all of us. And um, I I am truly thankful to Forrest Lucas for starting Protect the Harvest. So I think the name says it all. But tell us about what Protect the Harvest. Uh, so he was frustrated with this. He saw it coming. He was protecting his way of life, no doubt. Um, but tell us why he he grew this in to protect the harvest. Well, that Missouri event, they ended up, um, it was a ballot initiative. And HSUS, of, of course, Humane Society of the United, United States, States was behind that. Um, that actually passed, but they were able to change it on the ag side so that it was not going to affect livestock. So it was a win-win to us. And I guess that's how you say the ball started rolling there because when people started hearing about his involvement in that, then here's another five issues going on all over the country. Um, And when you get involved in this, it just piles up and piles up and piles up. So it's just grown since then. You know, it's been a little over 10 years. And I'll say that there is no... There's no problem with job security on fighting for food security <laughs> and for animal ownership. That's for sure. Sadly. Good yeah. point. So protect the harvest. What's its role? What's the mission of protect the harvest? And by the way, congratulations. I understand you've become the executive director. So yes, very you. pleased to hear that. Yeah. I've been with the organization since 2014 and kind of just started as a grunt, uh, a grunt worker, you know, doing data entry and, trying to learn as much as I possibly could about everything we're doing and just kind of moved up the food chain. Um, So the big thing we try to do is inform people. That's, you know, the first goal is if you look at our website, it says inform, protect and respond. The front runner is informing people. So educating people that be it, whether they're a, a child involved in the national ag in the classroom program, that's running out of their public school. Um, whether they're involved in FFA, even, you know, and a big chunk of it is adults, you know, informing people on social media, 
um, through interviews like this, letting people know what the issues are that are going on that are going to affect them, whether they know it or not. It could be on a county level, a city level, state, federally. Um, we pretty much get involved in all all types of issues, be it legislation or legal issues. Um, and yeah. the reality is it's just to ensure that people can own pets, own livestock, you know, use their property in a way that is fit for either providing food for their family or food for others. So that sounds very much like, well, who would be against that? Well, the reality is there's a lot of people against that. But it's disguised in, in many cases. Some cases it's right out in front of us in propositions so. and stuff where they, they build stuff in. And in other ways, it's disguised as if you care about animals, there's no way you wouldn't agree that we need to do X, Y, and Z when X, Y, and Z are actually completely harmful to the ability for farmers to feed the world. Mm -hmm. Much correct? of that informing that we do is in helping people understand the difference between animal rights and animal welfare. Everybody is everybody that I know or have ever met has been, you know, a proponent for animal welfare. Obviously, you want to take care of your dog. If you see, you know, uh, livestock, you'd like them to be cared for properly before they are used for human consumption. Um, the problem is that there are nefarious groups out there, extremist organizations that will say we're an animal welfare organization. And really, they are for something completely opposite. So animal rights is not the same as animal welfare. Animal rights is a, a mindset that an animal should have the exact same rights as a human being. And those rights include freedom, <laughs> freedom of where they're going to live, freedom of how they're going to live. Um, and that means that if you own an animal, it is akin to slavery, or if you are, let's say you own a breeding animal, uh, whether it's cattle or companion animal, if you're breeding that animal, that's akin to rape. Um, that's that's a big difference because, you know, we believe that humans have dominion over animals. Uh, we're here to take care of those animals and use them as long as we follow proper animal welfare standards. And to um, that end, you know, there are so many groups out there, the Animal Agriculture Alliance, the dairy folks, the beef, the the hog farmers, all of that. And I, I know firsthand from going to association meetings, which I know you, you probably do as well, that the information, best practices, updates in science and technology, and then generational information combined makes up for a great program and these folks really do care about making sure the folks who are raising livestock the folks who are breeding our crops and that and we keep vilifying them and i'm thrilled that protect the harvest is here to help tell those stories and kind of be the liaison for many of those alliances to spread the word mm -hmm. it's it's a it's yeah. a great organization yeah, alongside that protect or that informing is the protecting part, which you're talking about, which is actually doing the work that's needed to protect the farmer, the rancher, the animal owner. And that that is very timely, usually costs yeah. a ton of money, uh, but it's needed. Somebody has to do it. Somebody has to stand up and say, you know, to the court, this is why this is unconstitutional or say, 
to these policymakers, this is why this is going to affect our ranchers and farmers and the food that's going to be on your plate. Uh, The reality is a lot of these people making policy, um, they're not going to have to deal with, you know, if an egg goes up five cents, is that going to affect them? Probably not. Um, If that carton of eggs goes up even $5 a dozen, is that going to affect them? They're still more than likely going to be buying those eggs. Um, Is the low-income single mother going to be able to buy a carton of eggs if it goes up $5? Probably not. So you see a a huge separation between the policymaker and the actual people that are affected by the policy. Boy, Teresa, you're right on track, and we're going to pick it up again in just a second. If any social media you have, check out Protect the Harvest, and you'll see all the wonderful information they put out. I'm talking with Teresa Lucas McMahon, the executive director of Protect the Harvest. Teresa, I had a guest on recently. um, I believe it was Marla Calico from the International Association of Fairs and Expositions who talked about the fact that the um, one of the best protein sources and the most affordable protein sources for families. And again, you just highlighted that a legislator might be able to afford those type of things, but the average person, and especially with the inflation we're in, does, their groceries are really taking a bite out of them. That the average um, cost of the eggs have gone up so ridiculously. And um, it and it's an emotional topic, right? Cage-free eggs, range, uh, free-range chickens, that type of thing. I always say I absolutely want animals to be taken care of. But I also say to friends and colleagues who are not animal-oriented at all, everything preys on a chicken. There's a reason that there's a fence for a chicken. It's to keep the chickens safe, right? So there's this utopian idea about free-range beef or grass-fed beef. or, And I always say to people, it's great um, if you can afford it and you can do it, but how do we feed the world? Can you talk funny, to a little bit more about how yeah. farmers so are trying to feed the world? Yeah. The funny thing you just mentioned there was uh, grass-fed beef or free-range beef. Every single beef cattle in this country is raised on a pasture. I know it. Um, but they market things as, you know, well, it's it's grass-fed. Yes. They're all grass-fed. That's the reality. Um, now, that last few months of life, when they may be sent to a feedlot where they're getting, quote, fattened up, <laughs> because we have a certain preference in this country for a more marbled beef product. Yes. Um, you know, are they spending their entire life out there in a feedlot? Absolutely not. Right. Most of their life is spent on grass, on somebody's farm, on somebody's ranch. Um, How do we feed the world, it, Teresa? What are what are farmers, ranchers up against in this country alone to try to set the tone to feed the world? What what is what is involved in that? I know these are stories you have on Protect yeah. the Harvest. I mean, that's the struggle. Um, they're up against a lot. They're up against whether it's just a city, county local municipal ordinance against them, uh, state regulations, federal regulations, and they vary widely depending on where you're at in the country. Um, Give one us of the an issues, example, yeah. Of, yeah, of one of something. the issues is in California, there's a county right now, which this summer um, decided that it just wanted to shut off the groundwater for farmers and ranchers um, just because they wanted to control it. 
Now, they've already been extremely restricted in California on their water use. California is, I mean, if, you've, if you're eating vegetables right now, fruits and vegetables, you know, probably 90% of that is coming out of California. So why would we change the water usage for those people producing that? You know, we can, we're not, we have so many resources and the ability to come up with great ideas to provide different water sources. Why go and just shut off the farmer? He's the one that's feeding you so that you can then make those choices. Um, It's, it's, it's very backwards right now is what, is what I'll say. The, The farmer is being very vilified in that, you know, you hear, well, they're just ruining their land. They're just here to, you know, abuse these animals. No, I've never, I've never met a farmer or a rancher that's just purposely out there trying to ruin their land and, and, you know, be abusive to their animals. Because the reality is if you have something that's making you money and you're in a capitalist society, like we are, um, you're going to want to do whatever it takes to bring the biggest profit. And if that means you have to provide better feed, better water sources, um, better processes for when you're uh, growing those crops, that's what you'll do. Right. You're not gonna, usually you're not going to cut quarters um, and deplete the land and deplete those animals. Right. Yeah, they, again, they just keep, um, what we hear is that, you know, it, it's so much negative and everything needs to be organic. As I understand it, organic products can't even feed the majority of our country, let alone yeah. the world. Well, and our organization is not against organic. It's not against grass-finished beef. It's right. not against the free-range chicken. We are for consumer choice. Choice. So if you can afford and you want those products, then you should get them. There's always going to be somebody that wants to produce that product. So buy it. Right. Um, if you want to buy conventional beef or conventionally raised vegetables or grains, then that should be available. Um, that's how our society was built on is a capitalist society if there's you know a supply and demand what we see happening in policy is certain people making decisions that are going and saying well this is what i want and that's what i want everyone else to want and if they don't want it i will force it by making those other products to be unaffordable or illegal to create and if anybody's read a history book, that never ends up good. We've had society after society, country after country go down this path, and it does not end up good. It ends up in famine. It ends up in a big mess economically. Right. And protect the harvest, the role. And I did some writing for you guys, some freelance writing, which I enjoyed, um, researched some stories, and some of them were topics that were not in my wheelhouse, so I, I really enjoyed it. But... I think you, Protect the Harvest, does a great job of providing um, layman's term information because there is, again, some great associations and organizations out there that represent um, beef, cattle, dairy, uh, any, you know, chickens, what all the different poultry. But they're more designed for information for the folks in that industry. Um, certainly there's a better job out there to try to educate the public and with that legislators and the media, but I protect the harvest fills such an important role. It's a lane, an open lane that I, I think is critical. So, you mm-hmm. know, thank you for what you do. I'm yeah. going to, 
I'm oh. going to throw a question at you, and I don't know if you'll how you'll be able to answer this, but we keep hearing Bill Gates has uh, bought more farmland than anybody else in the United States. What is he doing, and what you know? What's his motivation? Can you speak to that at all? I will say he has a big chunk of farmland. I wouldn't say he's got the most in the United States. Okay. Uh, he's up there. Um, that's a good question. So he's very much on the side of what I would say is the United, United Nations idea of reducing um, animal protein, increasing more alternative protein sources, be it, uh, unfortunately, insect proteins or cellular-based meats, um, plant-based meats. Teresa, what do you want people to know? What's a, a big takeaway? Because we've, we've covered a lot of ground here, a lot of information. And um, I always say on this podcast, I don't want to tell people what to think. I want to share information, just as you do with Protect the Harvest, and provide them opportunities to realize there's more to the story. And this is how it, I've envisioned it. If you think of emojis on Facebook, for example, there's the happy emoji and the little care emoji. And then there's the sad emoji with the tear and the angry emoji. When it comes to farming issues, animals, all these topics that could be very emotional, people are very quick to apply either the really happy, oh, that's such a sweet story, or the angry emoji. And I always say the truth lies in the middle. And we don't really want to take the time to go there or it doesn't fit our narrative and it kind of makes us angry to go there. I think it's the middle, the thinking face, the, hmm, be thoughtful. There's a little emoji with his hand under his chin. This is um, the world we live in. You and I certainly um, is all about understanding the middle and sometimes even the uncomfortable middle dilemmas that don't have solutions and we do the best we can. So um, with that in mind and all the information we've covered, what's a good takeaway for folks? What would you want listeners to, um, after, after hearing this conversation, take away from this to maybe provoke some thought? I think, uh, I think the big thing is, you know, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of these different organizations that are already out there talking about, they're talking just to the, just to the rancher or they're talking just to the animal owner or just to the zoos. <clears throat> the reason why Protect the Harvest is, you know, got such a support recently is because we're kind of bringing all those people under one umbrella and helping each other understand why these issues are something that affects all of us. Um, we had a, a court case, which you would think never, never in my wildest dreams would a elephant affect a cow or affect a cat. Um, but there was a, a, a court case up in New York um, with an elephant called Happy, and there was a group called the Non-Human Rights Project that was trying to give this elephant pretty much habeas corpus, which is a legal constitutional right um, to prevent human beings from being imprisoned falsely um, for extended periods of time. Um, now, that case was won on our side, but most people are just like, well, why does that even matter? That matters because as soon as you give an elephant the human right to not be imprisoned, 
that opens the door for that cow to not be imprisoned or your personal family dog to not be imprisoned or a CNI dog to not be imprisoned or a, a police canine to not be imprisoned. Um, and that's going to affect what's going to be on your plate. You know, just like all these people that are pushing for insect protein. I don't want to eat crickets for my life. <laughs> I don't want to spend the next 20 years eating crickets. Um, but I think it's a choice. If you want to eat crickets, then you eat crickets. Uh, but that's, you know, understanding, connecting these dots between, you know, pets, zoos, the ranchers, the farmers, the consumers, the low-income people that are really struggling right now. How do we get them to connect with these farmers and ranchers so that we can all understand the best policies and solutions that are going to have affordable, accessible food for all of us? Yes, Absolutely. Very well said. It's it's definitely something we all need to be so mindful of and just really need to think about more. Um, I, you know, I want to thank Forrest for stepping up and starting Protect the Harvest and uh, you folks for the hard work you do. It's so important. Keep it coming. And um, by all means, you know, keep those stories coming highlight what's going on out there so that we can help educate others and we can all live in, in the world that we all enjoy and want to live in and be part of the solution. Yes. Thank you so much for letting me be on your show, Heidi. And I just hope that more people will get involved, especially in their local communities, go and meet a rancher, go and meet a farmer, uh, go to your farmer's market. If you, if you don't know where one lives and just, just talk to them, find out what they do on their farm. Yep, absolutely. I say that on every episode. Go see for yourself. Thank you, Teresa. It's been a pleasure. Once again, it's about our choices. You may not realize it, but we're losing our choices. We're losing our opportunities and our rights through laws, legislation, regulations. So it's important to stay informed. I, I can't give you a better source than Protect the Harvest for sharing stories across all agricultural worlds and even beyond the zoo community, carriage horses, the exhibited animal community, your family pets, just a wealth of information. So, and as Teresa said, and I say on every episode, go see for yourself, meet farmers, meet ranchers, check out the farmer's market, really important. I'm Heidi Harriet. I certainly hope you enjoyed this episode of Animal Tales. It's really important to me to provide this information, provide the other side of the story about these amazing people and their animals. I'd certainly love your feedback. You can email me, animaltalespodcast at gmail.com. Also, please subscribe, rate and review us, and please share this with others. I hope you'll join me next time for Animal Tales. Animal Tales.